Hello, that's Sarah. And that's Emily. And this is Lightweight True Crime. good thank you you made these yourself tell me what i did so my brother-in-law robert got me these um patron liqueurs for christmas excellent which are like so good so this one is lime and the other one is mango i haven't tried the mango one yet but um i'm using this one the lime one so it's lime tonic water and this lime liqueur. It's super good. And it's so good. It's like a it's like a tequila version of a gin and tonic. It honestly is. I really What's the percentage on this, Ryan asks? Thirty five percent. Hello. So we just postmated some ice there's cream. There's a whole shot in each of our drinks. None of us should be driving. And uh yeah. Wow, those are super yummy. Yeah. Um we recorded They're two good. episodes at a time and so in between Last episode in this episode, I went into the kitchen to turn my laundry over and Emily was making these drinks <laughs> and she had the shot glass in her hand or the shot measuring thing. It's yeah. Not like a glass. And she turns to me and she goes, which side of this is for the shot? Because it's there's like a half a it's shot true. and a whole there are shot. two different sizes. But I was just like, this is yet another reason why we should not be allowed to do a yeah. podcast like this. Because Words. this is a podcast where two girls share a drink in a story. Yeah. And sometimes we share too much of a drink if <laughs> we're not sure what we're measuring. Oh, Honestly, gosh. if I were to just like eyeball it, though, which is what I was going to do, I would have put like a third of a shot in there. Well, that's probably maybe all that we should ever be allowed to drink right. at that time. So that's yeah. fair enough. Um, so I texted you the other day, um, oh, yes. but we didn't talk about it because. Okay. Save it for the podcast. Yeah, save it for the podcast. But there's a new show coming out. That is like a combination of fixer upper and true crime. Just when you it's thought like, you'd seen it, right? All. So I didn't really read very much about it, but I'm super excited. So I don't know what channel it's on or anything. So they fix up places where where crime have been where committed. murders have happened. What so is this be I don't on? know, but it's like I was like looking through the pictures in the article, and they're all these really cool like abandoned Victorian homes. So old timey murders. I don't know. So. I grew up in what was once an abandoned Victorian home. Yeah. That we then restored. The farm was abandoned at one point? Well, it wasn't a well, it wasn't so much abandoned it like as it was down. uninhabited. So my great grandmother lived there into her nineties, then like moved in with my grandparents. And so it was empty for like Got it. For Until. several years. And then and it was I have vague memories of it as a child and it was like a barn like i mean she obviously yeah. didn't keep it up when she was old and lived there yeah. and, like they were always like it was a nice house but she raised kids during the depression so it's not like you know we they were right keeping it spiffy um but the word has it so my grandmother 
was estranged from her husband. He didn't live there with her mm. for the majority of the time, majority of her life. But uh, rumor has it, not so much rumor as like actual truth, that <laughs> <laughs> truth she, has it. Truth has it that after her kids were out of the house, she al- she always like took people in when mm. they were like sick and like dying. Yeah. And so rumor has it that a lot of people died in that house. Just not, I, like, I by murder. I would be surprised if a murderer or two snuck in there. Not her, but yeah. like people. And it's probably haunted. Probably. So interesting. When does that show air? Do you, did you remember the title of it? What's um, it called? I don't remember the title. I think it was like Murder House Fix Up wow. something. Murder House Flip. Is it going to be I on HGTV? I think what it's called. Gonna be like, I don't think it is. The property values of this place are really low because of the horror that happened right? here. So the, my, my friend, Chloe, who originally sent it to me. I don't know if she listens to this or not. Um... Chloe, why don't you listen to our podcast? I don't know if she this is her like jam. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> no, she's not. Ryan, you I'm have to cut that out. Because she's one of the sweetest, nicest people Chloe, in the I'm whole sure you're world. really nice. <laughs> um, <laughs> Ryan had a delayed reaction I know. No, but she, so she texted <laughs> that to me and I was like, oh my gosh, that's crazy. I don't even know what I said. But then she was like, like something like. I can't believe people would like actually live in it afterwards. And I made the joke of like, that's the only way we're going to be able to afford to buy a house. But <laughs> it's not a joke. It's you gotta, real. You got to make some compromises. It's true. Somebody was murdered here. Mm, or we could live on the street. Mm. Just burn some sage. Try not to It'll think be about fine. it too hard. Yeah. <laughs> Anyways. I also. Super stoked for that. I heard on an MFM episode. And I don't know if this was specific to a state. Or if this is like a federal law, but you only have to inform people about murders that have taken place at a residence if they've happened in the last three years. I think that's correct. <laughs> Ryan's jaw has dropped. So I think it's something co- like that. Yeah, I don't know what where that. Applies. I mean, like for the like for this show, like the people are obviously gonna know because they're gonna be on a show called. Yeah, that feels like a mistake to make that show. I'm just gonna murder just gonna house it. flip. Not to be controversial. I'm going to be like, I'm going to love to watch it. Sure. But like, I don't know how successful their like yeah. real estate is going to be. It also feels like a the, like, selling diagram. I mean, I guess a lot of like white women who love HGTV also love true crime. So it will be an interesting, yeah. like maybe the Venn diagram there, the overlap actually is significant. But I would feel like it's a blending of two different loves that I don't know would go together well. But anyway, yeah, I also do you remember the show Trading Spaces on TLC? Yeah. OK, for some reason, I got on this like Internet rabbit hole the other night where um, like and that show has been off the air for a while. But yeah, like, I have very vivid memories of it as a child because like it was a it was a huge it was hugely successful. Yeah. Um, and for those of you who don't know, the premise was like neighbors or friends like would uh they would pick a room in their house that they wanted redone and then they'd like swap and the other people would get paired with a designer and redo their friend's room yeah like there'd be this big reveal at the end and i 
somebody on Twitter, God bless it, posted all these clips of people hating <gasps> the rooms that were done for them. And I was crying. I was laughing I so hard. I can't believe they actually like aired those ones. I can remember a few. Like there was this one designer, Hildy, that you never wanted to be the designer you got paired with because she was nuts. And like the, she like t- like staple feathers to walls. And oh you're my like, God. this is not design. All right, Hildy. But just these clips of people being like so mad and like page the host like trying to be like do you like any elements of it anyway it was a deep dive Yikes. on the interwebs but i thoroughly enjoyed it if somebody did that so if hildy came in and she just stapled feathers i would pretend to like it even if i wasn't on tv because you wouldn't want to stand up to her i just wouldn't want to hurt her feelings like i'm, I'm listening to you describe that and i'm like i can't believe those people actually like said what they were really thinking well oh Oh my gosh (laughs) our cat just did one of those (laughs) things where somebody is hiding under the bed and grabs your foot that was terrifying not while we're talking about crime phoenix good lord anyways (sighs) anyway so you have something you want to talk about i always have something that i want to talk about emily first of all i want to talk about how well you did that drink but before i drink too much of it I'm going to tell you a story about true crime. Perfect. While I drink too much of mine. Cannot wait. Just going to lean back. Oh, gosh. I just got a text from my dad. Oh, it's to me and my sister. Sometimes when my dad texts text me at night, I'm afraid he's like, are you alive? So I always want to respond right yeah, away. But he's I get telling that. me a TV show I need to watch. Oh, I think our Postmates just texted them me. So Oh, perfect. Okay. Excellent. They're probably checking to see if I'm still alive, too. <laughs> okay. So... Uh, I relied heavily, as per usual, on Wikipedia, a New York Post article by Maureen Callahan, and a uh, series of articles called Taken by CNN. And this is the disappearance of Maria Rodolph. So, Maria Rodolph was born on March 12, 1950, to Michael and Francis Rodolph in Sycamore, Illinois. She was the youngest of four children. Her father was a factory worker, and her mother was a homemaker. So in December of 1957, when our story takes place, Maria was seven years old. She was described as slight, pretty, and graceful, with brown eyes that shone with warmth and intelligence. Sycamore was a small town with only 7,000 residents. Wow. Yeah, a place where kids played outside with their neighbors, and no one locked their doors. Um, Ryan, can you stop making noise while we're trying to talk about true crime, please? Thank you. So on December 3rd of that year, 1957, (laughs) (laughs) scolded. Anyways, uh, Maria and her best friend, Kathy, accompanied each other on the short walk from their neighborhood to West Elementary School, where they were in the second grade. We have a West High School here. Well, coincidence. So after school, so they walked to school together, and then after school, they went to Maria's house to cut out paper snowflakes. Cute. So a few blocks away from their route, right? So while they're walking back to Maria's um, in Sycamore, a man in an overcoat spotted two other girls walking along State Street by the public library, and he tried to strike up a conversation with them. With Maria and Kathy? No, the other so this, girls. Is, this is happening while Maria and Kathy are walking back to Got Maria's it. house, but it's in the same town just a few blocks away. Oh, okay. So these girls are like, we don't like this feeling. And they ducked into a restaurant to get away from him. When they emerged from the restaurant, the man was gone. 
but scattered on the sidewalk were half a dozen photographs of naked women. Yikes. This was way unusual for Sycamore, right? Los Angeles, 2019, Vegas, any year, normal. <laughs> any year ever. Uh, but this, uh, so this was not normal, yeah. right? But this, so we're in December 1957, and ever since Halloween of that same year, someone had been scrawling obscenities in chalk on a tree and a stop sign at the intersection of Center Cross Street and Archie Place. So like the same tree? Yeah. Like people would like wash it or it would rain or whatever and they'd put something else back up. Right. So weird. So super not normal for Sycamore, but also like this weird thing had been happening in that area yeah. um, since Halloween of that year. So meanwhile, Maria and Kathy make it back home to play at Maria's house at five o'clock. Kathy goes home for dinner and Maria and her family have dinner together at their house. The first snow of the season was underway and Maria begged her parents to let her go and play in it and she was allowed to meet up with Kathy at the intersection of Center Cross Street and Archie Place <sighs> which is one of their favorite spots to play that they had not been to since that summer. As they were playing a good-looking young man they had never seen before approaches them and says hello little girls are you having fun? He asked whether they wanted piggyback rides and told them no his name, yeah, hard pass uh, and told them his name was Johnny saying that he was 24 and wasn't married weird cool weird details to bring up to seven-year-olds he says do you like dollies the girls nodded so eventually maria agreed to let johnny give her a piggyback ride and she was having fun when you're seven you don't um, think that people have bad intentions yeah right you're like someone wants to play with me awesome yeah and adults never want to play with me right so when uh, he, when it was over, she decided that she wanted to run back to her house and grab a specific doll that she wanted to have with her for the next piggyback ride, right? Mm-hmm. So let's see. Da, da, boop, 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 yeah, boop. So she ran to her house, which was only three doors away from where they were playing. Maria? Yes. Okay. So Kathy, which leaves Kathy alone on the sidewalk with Johnny. Uh, He asks whether, when Maria is gone, he asks whether she wanted to take a walk around the block or go on a trip in a truck or a car or a bus. And she says no, but keeps waiting there with him for Maria. Maria's parents are inside when she runs inside and grabs her doll. She goes back out, returns to Kathy and Johnny, and Kathy says, okay, now I need to go home. It's starting to snow. I need my mittens. She asks Maria to come with her, and Maria's like, no, I'll wait here with Johnny. So when Kathy returns a few minutes later, Maria and Johnny were gone. So the first thing that Kathy does is she goes to the Rodolph house to tell them that she couldn't find Maria. The family initially thought Maria's hiding, so they send her 11-year-old brother out to look for her. Yeah. Uh, and after he couldn't find her, the family called the police. And within an hour, police and civilians began a search of the town, but failed to locate Maria or Johnny, the man with whom she was last seen. Ryan just like jumped out of his chair really fast and scared me. But um, do you think it's Postmates related? Yeah, I he just so. threw me the phone. God bless. So they search the town, find nothing. So reporters flock to Sycamore, this small town from Chicago and New York, making this story national news. The FBI is called in, and as the days go by, um, 
this case has such a grip on on the country's attention that then FBI director J. Edgar Hoover demands daily updates from his wow. agents and sent teletypes to his men on the ground with what detailed instructions. What the heck's a teletype? I think maybe like a um uh what am I? Oh my gosh! Ryan just walked in with our three pints of Ben and Jerry's half baked. Hallelujah! We all got half baked, and we're gonna put our initials on the side. Put them in the freezer. We're not gonna eat them now. Not while I'm telling a murder. <laughs> Ryan, he brought spoons out. He wanted. Okay. Ryan, you can eat yours now. You can eat yours now. Okay. This episode is a hot is mess. Is a hot mess. And okay, I'm so, so sorry. This little girl is gone. Totally fine. The FBI, J. Edgar Hoover, is sending. Yeah, which is nuts. Which is nuts. He's sending agents specific instructions on like here's what you should do yeah do this and make sure you do that okay so that's december no sign of maria or johnny then on april 26 1958 near woodbine illinois which is a hundred miles from sycamore two tourists discovered the skeletal remains of a small child in a no. wooded area <laughs> ryan what, what? skeletal remains and he's always shocked when things happen I'm just like did you not hear what this podcast is about so and the body is so decompensated that it indicated that it had been there for several months so the body is identified as maria Rodolph, based on dental records a lock of her hair and the clothes she was wearing when she disappeared there would be many people who would fall under suspicion in Maria's disappearance, but John Tessier, who lived a block and a half from the Rodolphs, was reg- and was regarded in general as the neighborhood creep, uh, was at the top of the list. Tessier's name was Johnny. Well, could right, be, because his name was John. Right, seriously. Yeah. Um, there's also part of me, though, not like to play the devil's advocate, where wouldn't these girls have known him? If he maybe lived. I, I mean a, that has not occurred to me until just now but also maybe not um i'm trying to think when i was seven i don't think i really knew i like didn't know anyone over 16 sure. in my neighborhood so if like he really was 24 no he was i didn't say his age i think he's 18 oh you yeah. said at one point he said he was 24. Oh, he said he was 24, but John oh, but Tessier, he wasn't. John Tessier is oh, 18. Oh, is 18. Also, I don't maybe, know. There's seven. Maybe, maybe maybe they didn't know. Yeah, maybe they didn't know. So he is widely regarded as the neighborhood creep. He just gives people bad vibes. Like there isn't anything concrete that people yeah. can attest to, but they're like, Blank. something's off here. Yeah. So, but he had an alibi. That evening, he had been 40 miles away enlisting in the Air Force in Rockford, Illinois. That's a pretty good alibi. Yeah. And both of his parents attested to his whereabouts on that night. Still, there was something off about John Tessier, but no evidence to connect him conclusively to Marina's murder. Tessier eventually went on to serve in Vietnam, and he settled in Washington State, where he worked as a cop until he was arrested for statutory rape. Oh, no. I was literally thinking, oh, man, he grew up to be an American hero. Yeah. So, continued in Washington, just not in uniform. So, in 1993, as his mother, one of the people who had provided him with an alibi for the evening of Mariah's kidnapping, lay dying, she yelled for her youngest daughter, Janet, who was in the room. Mom, I'm right here. What's the matter? Janet says. Those two little girls who disappeared, Eileen Tessier says. Yeah. John did it. <gasps> John did it. 
Mom, are you talking about Maria? Her daughter replied. Yes, she said. You have to tell someone. You have to do something. Wait, but she said two little girls. Because, well, Kathy was there. The little oh. girl was with her. Got it. Okay. It would take, okay, here I've heard two conflicting reports. I've read two different things. Yeah. One report said that it took Janet 14 years to summon the courage to contact oh my God. the authorities. Others say that she spent 14 years trying to get somebody's attention. I don't know which Either one is Either way, correct. it took 14 years. Dang. So she sends an email. Or, yeah, she sends an email saying, like, here's this information. The cat is trying to get into your ice cream lid. Um, I don't know if that's bad for cats. The way it is for dogs. Uh, so she sends this email. And two days after, uh, which apparently either the first person she tells or the first right person she tells. Yeah. Who cares? Um, she gets a phone call from a detective. And with that, the case from 1957 was officially reopened with John Tessier as the prime suspect. They had no physical evidence, but with his mother's confession and his history of sexual abuse since Maria's death, right? You've got the statutory rape charge in Seattle. He also, like, it never went to court or anything, but there was a rape allegation from his half-sister. Like, there was some yucky stuff. Uh, He went on trial for the girls for Maria's death in September of 2012. And how old was he? He was, like, in his early 70s, late 60s. Dang. And this was, at the time, thought to be the oldest cold case to ever go to trial. So he waived his right to a jury trial um, and did a bench trial where the judge decides. Uh, Among those who testified were Pam Long, another neighbor girl from the area who'd been terrified when John had given her a piggyback ride at the age of eight. Kathy Sigmund, the the other little girl uh-huh. who um, had been with Maria that day, who in 2010 had identified John in a photo lineup as the oh, man wow. that they had seen or that had been with them. Yeah. And three jailhouse informants who said that John had confessed to each of them individually. Oh, wow. It took the judge just 25 minutes to reach a verdict. Guilty. John Tessier, who also went by John Tessier McCullough, um, which is how he's often referenced, uh-huh. uh, was 73 years old, and his conviction marked the solving of the oldest cold case in wow. American history. Just wait. Uh-oh. Then, in 2016, less than four years after he was convicted in what had been, right, the oldest uh-huh. unsolved murder case in the country to actually go to trial, John Tessier McCullough was released <gasps> after a state's attorney reviewed or reviewed the case, which led a judge to overturn the verdict. What? Citing issues with an inmate's testimony and the exclusion of evidence at John's 2012 trial, a DeKalb County judge ordered a new trial for the 76-year-old. Then in 2017, that same judge issued John Tessier McCullough a certificate of innocence. What? Legally declaring him innocent for good, double jeopardy is attached. (gasps) He cannot be tried for this crime. I didn't know that that was a thing. I didn't know certificate of innocence. Like, w- what world is that in? Sounds like something somebody made with crayons. <laughs> this is my certificate of innocence. Um, but oh my goodness, wait, why? Okay, How? So he, here's the interesting thing. So Richard Schmack, who, from what I can gather, was the new state's attorney for DeKalb County, right? So uh-huh. the prosecution had been under. The old, the state's attorney, I, there was, yeah. I don't know. See, he was like new guard, right? Got it. <clears throat> said that he had reviewed the case when the, when the judge had said, do a new trial for this. Yeah. Thing. And 
that led him to conclude that John Tessier McCullough could not have committed the crime, saying that there was potential police misconduct, suppression of evidence that would have led to his exoneration, and that the inmate's testimony uh, was not solid. Um, It, like, this whole thing in researching it just took such a pendulum swing. But, I mean, obviously, I don't know what happened, but for the state's attorney that usually works for the prosecution to be like, dude, this ain't it. Yeah. that to me is enough to like have significant pause. She's like, the cat's behind you. This cat is in love with coming up behind me and clawing at my head and scaring the ever living. She does that to my mom me. too. Oh, me and Tootie. Um, so this, so sounds like this guy is a creep. Yeah. He could have done this, but it seems like there is enough. Oh, there's man. enough doubt about it. Yeah. That, so this returned what was once the oldest cold case ever solved to the unsolved case files. This was just two years wow. ago, three years ago. But Mariah, or Mariah, wow, not her name. <laughs> um, but Maria's surviving siblings who are now in their 60s, uh, for them, this ruling is another in a series of painful days in a case marked by missteps yeah. and false hopes. They had been convinced that their former neighbor was their sister's killer and now believe a grave injustice is allowing him to get away with their sister's murder. And that is the story of the murder of Maria Rodolfo. That's insane. Isn't that wild? Like, I originally, when I, I, I love a good, like, old cold case solved. Yeah. And so I was Googling, like, famous cold cases that were solved. And so this came up, and I was like, oh, my gosh, this is so good. And then, um, you're like, and then ah. I was like, whoa. Like, the, the end makes yeah. what a story that was super satisfying not super satisfying but interesting yeah um because it keeps you on your toes to the very end and and also there was a lot of interesting commentary about um the girl who had been with her that night mm-hmm. identifying him which when eyewitness testimony is, is just yeah. flawed as hell like maybe it was and like maybe she was remembering him but our memories do not work like no. videotape, you know, just like recording what happened. Like for it to be that young and to have been that long ago and for that kind of trauma, like the chances of her actually being able to give like 100% positive yeah. ID. Um, You'd have to be a robot. You would have to be a robot. Like it, that just seems super unlikely. Um, So I was looking for like the, you know, do they have a new suspect? How are they, you know, looking into yeah. it and whatnot? But it seems like, I mean, this is fairly recent that this yeah. is, um, this is, but I think this new state attorney has said that like, this has now become my life's work to actually solve this case. Dang. That's um, awesome. Which I hope he does. So, so do you think he did it or not? I think it's possible, but I think I feel kind of about this case the same way I feel about the staircase, which is like, did he do it? Probably. Yeah. Is there enough reasonable doubt to hold him legally accountable? No. no. Um, which is less than satisfying, but also I think that is one of the good things about our justice system is that in theory, it leans in theory, it leans towards letting guilty men go free rather than innocent men in prison. Yeah. Um, in theory. Somebody, one, one of those, you know, famous founding fathers or something said said yeah said something about 
it's your cat is trying to eat my feet i'm sorry sorry get under the blanket okay thank you said something about like it's better to let a hundred guilty men go free than to have one innocent man right imprisoned right should we uh should we go back and inform them that there are a lot of black yeah. and innocent men imprisoned? Yeah, probably. Have you seen, um, you know what movie I really want to go see is Just Mercy? <gasps> yes, it looks so good. And you know, it's a true story. Yeah. And that guy like speaks at like, because he's a Christian, like he speaks at like Christian colleges about his work. He's oh, so gotten cool. like 134 people taken off of death row. Wow. Like, that is his life. That's work. incredible. I really want to go see it. We should. Yeah. Let's, let's go see it. In record theaters. an episode. In, in the movie the theater, theater. that's how, legal right how thrilling for our listeners exactly whoa what oh no i'm saying oh. that that's what we would be saying <laughs> like, i scared sarah <laughs> oh i'm sorry yeah that didn't okay. come across well okay so tell me your story Emily. so gotta open my computer but this is the story of the Filipino hostage crisis by the Abu Sayyaf. Oh, I know this story. Yeah, it's nuts. Yeah. Ryan just said, go Philippines. Yeah, it's not how you're going to think by the end of the story. If well, this is the, the story I... The, we'll see. The common Filipino person is not to blame. Correct. For this. Yes. Correct. I'm so, sorry, Ryan, for my microaggression against your people. Maybe macroaggression. I don't know. We'll talk about it later. Going. Anyways, in 2001... Marsh, oh my god! <laughs> I was gonna say <laughs> she, Martian. She been drinking. She, she been, been drinking. Drinkin'. Okay, in two thousand one, <laughs> <laughs> really got Ryan. <laughs> that got Ryan, good. <sighs> really did. <laughs> Ryan's had more to drink than we have. Um, he said, "Cause I can drink." Okay, pay attention. So in 2001, Martin and Gracia Burnham had been missionaries in the Philippines for 17 years. Martin flew a plane and he would bring like supplies to other missionaries on the different islands. Um, And Gracia homeschooled their kids and did like, you know, paperwork and things (laughs) for the company, like clerical work and stuff okay stuff that she could do I, while also she, teaching <laughs> sorry i just love that she did paperwork, paperwork <laughs> for the lord though <laughs> right okay so for their 18th wedding anniversary they went to the dos palmas resort on the island of palawan which is like a resort town ryan is nodding because i pronounced it correctly in so i got i got most of this information from um, Netflix has a new show called Captive and they have an episode on this and like they interview a bunch of people who are like related to the family and stuff and so they're from the Midwest I th- actually think they're from Kansas um, and so like all, all the people that they interview cannot pronounce any of the <laughs> Filipino anything and so they're like Pele Juan they went to Pele Juan they went to Palawan um, and on May 27th, a terrorist group called the Abu Sayyaf, led by a man named Abu Sabaya, um, they raided the resort. And they ended up taking around 20 people hostage, including three Americans. So Martin and Gracia Burnham, and then another man named Guillermo Sabero, and he was a father of four from Corona. Um, so 
when they first um, took these hostages, the Abu Sayyaf had Martin create a recording that they were going to broadcast on the radio um, as an appeal to both the governments of America and the Philippines, um, asking for negotiation for a safe return of the hostages, um, which at the time and now America as a policy does not negotiate or pay ransom to terrorists um in order to try and deter terrorists from taking people hostage but countries like the philippines like don't have that policy so like if people like if these terrorist groups take people hostage they still try to negotiate with america because that's just the way that their government works so they might not know that america doesn't negotiate with hostages so it's a like it's good to help deter some of the terrorist groups but others it doesn't deter them obviously um so in the philippines there had been like a continual battle between like the government and the abu sayyaf they had like previously like kidnapped people they have like attacked different cities and stuff um and the president at the time named gloria arroyo which shout out to women presidents um she said we shall not stop until the abu sayyaf is finished so the Philippines were like really sick of this Abu Sayyaf group going around and terrorizing everybody. And they were like prepared to destroy them, whatever the cost. And this hostage situation just kind of was like the straw that broke the camel's back. Because even though it sounds like a lot of these people who were kidnapped were tourists, the real like majority of suffering at the hands of these tourists are the people. Yeah. People of, of the, the Philippines. Philippines yeah yeah because they took 20 people but only three of them were Americans right. um so it doesn't say like where the rest of them were from they were obviously at a resort so they were tourists of some kind like and, but I'm but, sure that the majority of this group's activities are like with the Filipino people. Yeah, yeah 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 this is just like one of the many things that they've done but obviously this got more attention in America because they kidnapped Americans. Um, So the FBI negotiator, Chuck Regini um, flies out to Manila to try and work with um, the Filipino government to get a safe return for these hostages. Um, And he had like an incredible success rate, especially with international cases. Um, So coming out there, he didn't really think that this was going to be anything out of the ordinary. Um, and he worked with General Benjamin Magalang, um, who was the special action force commander in the Philippines. Um, and he so he also like negotiated with terrorists to get hostages set free. So this this wasn't a new situation to either of them, like negotiating hostage situations. Um, and so America, their stress was like to facilitate a peaceful release of the hostages. Um, but the Philippines just really wanted to end the Abu Sayyaf. So they were kind of like butting heads a little bit of like America really wanted to save as many lives as possible. And the Philippines were like sick of the Abu Sayyaf terrorizing their people. Right. Americans have two people who are captured and whose lives are worth saving. Right. But also the Philippine or the Filipinos have like this greater context and yeah like exactly want to like like uproot this yeah and, and of course they're not like we don't care about any of these other people right. but they're like if we don't stop these people it's not gonna end here like they they need to be stopped or they're gonna 
right you might hurt rescue, so many more people you might rescue your citizens but like actually put us in a worse position yeah yeah so um on june 2nd um the abu sayyaf was located in a local hospital um and in the town that they were in they had a lot of like the abu sayyaf had a lot of leeway with the locals there either like they supported the Abu Sayyaf or they were scared of the Abu Sayyaf. But either way, the locals helped um, the Abu Sayyaf escape once the Filipino army surrounded the hospital. Um, and Chuck Regini, who was the FBI negotiator, um, came to the scene there at the hospital trying to like negotiate. Um, but he said that the Filipino army was intent on pursuing and eliminating the Abu Sayyaf hostages or no hostages. Um, and so from his point of view, the Filipino army, they started to attack. And so he was like, he was thinking like, they're just going to kill everybody, whether or not the hostages survive or not. Um, and he was really hoping to be able to try and negotiate. Um, but the, the city, the town that they were in, Lamital, um, the people there, the locals there, help, help them escape. Um, and the Abu Sayyaf used the hostages as human shields in order to flee. Um, so none of the Abu Sayyaf or the hostages were injured, but 12 soldiers were killed in this incident. And the Abu Sayyaf fled into the jungle. Um, and so at this point, um, the Abu Sayyaf, like I said, was led by this man, Sabaya. Um, and so the men in the Abu Sayyaf were realizing that Sabaya was more interested in money than like being a revolutionist for Islam. Um, and the Netflix show captive, actually they interview one of the former members of Abu Sayyaf and like he, they don't give his identity or anything. They like do that voice thing where he sounds really low. Um, but he talks about how he was, you know, he joined Abu Sayyaf for, you know, the fight for Islam, he was ready to die for Islam. And when he started realizing that Sabaya was more into the money, you know, he and a bunch of his other like colleagues started questioning, like, what are we doing with these hostages? Um, and so this is where like the Abu Sayyaf kind of starts to fall apart. Um, but it's June 8th now. So it's been six days since they fled the hospital. Um, and, a radio station aired a ransom. Um, so Sabaya asks for $2 million for the Burnhams and Guillermo Sabero. Um, and like I said, America doesn't negotiate. So they just, they didn't like ignore it, but they, they didn't really. So they like acknowledged it to the Abu Sayyaf, but you know, they said like, we're, we're not going to pay that. So we got to figure out something else. Um, and at the time they knew that, um, the Burnhams were going to be likable and relatable, um, especially because like they've been living in the Philippines for 17 years. Um, but they had intel that Guillermo Sabero had developed an antagonistic relationship with the Abu Sayyaf. Um, and so Sabaya ended up telling the government of America and the Philippines, like you have 48 hours to give us $2 million or we're going to kill Sabero. Um, and the governments weren't able to deliver the money. So Abu Sabayef ended up beheading Sabero. Um, Corona is not that far from here. I know. I know people who live in Corona. Wow. 
Um, so Guillermo Sabero was, like I said, from Corona, father of four, um, and ended up being a victim to the Abu Sabayev. Um, so after this, um, a lot of those guys, um, who were kind of realizing that Sabaya wasn't really in it for Islam, um, they started dividing from the group. So a lot of them ended up leaving, um, because they weren't in it for the crime. They weren't in it for the money. Um, and so the, like the men who had joined as jihadists, they weren't interested in taking the hostages in the first place. And so now they're like, okay, this is out of hand. Um, and, um, the summer went by and there was nothing new. Um, Sabaya didn't ask for any more ransoms or anything. Um, and they were still hiding in the jungle, which made it really hard for like the governments and the army to track them. Um, so it was really just a waiting game of waiting for Sabaya to ask for something again so they could like contact him. Um, and then September 11th, 2001, um, Chuck Regini is still in Manila trying to work on this um, when the planes hit. Wow. Um, and at the time, like the families of the Burnhams were like, okay, America's going to forget about yeah. our family because this is so much bigger. And then they find out that Abu Sayyaf is connected to Al Qaeda. Oh my gosh. So Sabaya and a few of his um, men had actually trained in the Middle East with Osama bin Laden. Oh my gosh. So the family is like, awesome. The government's going to care about our family now. So... Because of this new information, um, America ended up deploying about 250 military personnel to the Philippines. Um, and this was a huge issue. So, quick history lesson. Um, the Philippines and America at this time had an agreement that they that America wouldn't have boots on the ground in the Philippines. Because um, the Philippines were originally colonized, in quotes, by Spain. Um, in 1565, um, and they were a colony of Spain until the revolution in 1898, um, which America helped the Philippines fight. I did not know that. Yeah. So, like, at the time and when America fought for their own freedom and independence, they kind of made pacts with a lot of other countries in the world, like, we're going to help you fight for your freedom whenever you... Like, you're at a place where you need it. Um, and so America came to the Philippines, helped them fight for their um, independence in 1898. Um, and then, like, right after that, um, American privates killed three Filipino soldiers. Um, and this launched the Philippine-American War. So America had helped them. And then I don't know what this situation was that happened. Um, so for two years the Philippine-American War was taking place. And in 1900, President McKinley sent the Taft Commission to re-engineer the Filipino political system, essentially making the Philippines a colony of America. Not a good look. Yes, until after World War II. So it wasn't until after World War II that America actually finally, like, left the Philippines, gave them their own independence, and didn't, like have their fingers all in the Philippine government. My grandfather was stationed in the Philippines. Oh, really? 
Yeah, because he was in the Pacific Arena. Oh yeah, and that's so, right. Um, yeah. Wow. Okay, but I I always knew that, but I did not understand yeah. the greater context of that. So there's wow. a lot of bad blood between. Because baby, now we got bad blood. Yeah. Like Taylor Swift says. Yep. So. Could have been mad love. Could have been mad love. But now we got but bad we blood. Really love colonizing things. Yeah. So my computer just sent me a notification. Um, yeah. So America deploying, even though it was only 250 military personnel, was a huge issue because of this past history. Um, so the president, Gloria Arroyo, um, was desperate to quell the Abu Sabayeth. And so she worked with Bush towards putting an end to this terrorism um, so she was very supportive of having these American forces on the ground in the Philippines. Um, she was willing to do that if it meant getting rid of the Abu Sabayeth. Um, so that helped um, the, you know, the local population be more okay with it. It still wasn't a great thing, um, but if it meant getting rid of this terrorist group, um, they would support it. Um so American forces started moving into the jungle, um, hoping to find the group that way. Um, and they, they, so they were, they were in there and they, you can't really see more than like three feet in front of you. The jungle is so thick. And so they would shoot at anyone with a gun and they ended up attacking a group that they thought was the Abu Sabayef, but ended up just being a group of civilians who had been armed by the Filipino military. So, at this point, it's like late November 2001. And they've, so the Burnhams have been with the Abu Sabayef since May. Um, so they're getting really desperate. Um, and finally, the locals um, can determine um, where the Abu Sabayef are, are, is the Abu Sabayef are. Um, and Sabaya actually gives permission for a reporter to come in and report on the group's condition. Um, so Arlen De La Cruz um, has been covering this hostage crisis since the beginning. Um, and she was actually on the ground during that hospital attack. Um, and so she comes out um, to do a story on the Abu Sabayef and the Burnhams. Um, so she comes out with her crew and a video camera um sabaya told her she was gonna have to walk for four hours from the military checkpoint to get to where they were ryan just texted me something you need me to look at it right now okay <laughs> you could have just told me he said i'm saying um a lot oh i thought he texted it to our thread no sorry Oh, because Hillary just texted us a true crime story. Oh, nice. Anyway, we'll have to we'll get to that. We're just getting okay. to the crucial point of this story. So Arlen de la Cruz is out there in the jungle. Sabaya had told her she was gonna have to walk for about four hours from the military checkpoint, but she ends up only walking thirty minutes. Okay. Um, and when she gets there, she realizes that um, most of the members of the Abu Sabayef are from ages thirteen to seventeen, so they're just teenagers. They're kids. Yeah, they're babies. In the video um, that they film, man, now I'm super self-conscious. It's okay. You keep going. You tell me this story. I'm sorry, guys. No, don't apologize. This is your podcast. You can say um. This as is many the um podcast. 
This is now a drinking game. From now on, (laughs) every time I say um, you take a shot. I think if we start playing by rules like this, we're going to, and every time I say like, we're going to die of alcohol poisoning. Yeah. So in this video, um, (laughs) dang it. (laughs) No, don't think about it because it's just going to be worse. You got this baby girl. Arlen is asking Martin and Gracia questions and in the video, the bugs are louder than Martin is. So that jungle. Yeah. It's these crazy jungle bugs, but also like they are like super malnourished, have been walking for months and months. So like Martin's super weak, but then also like the jungle's crazy. Um, And Martin pleads with the government to pay a ransom for their release. He acknowledges that America has a policy not to negotiate. Um, And he says, I know we're just two citizens, but to us and to our family, like we're special. We're worth like negotiating, basically going back on policy and negotiating for our release. And in the video, Sabaya is actually filmed saying, like, we're eager to set you free. We're just waiting for your government to make a decision. So Sabaya tries to kind of portray this, to portray himself as a, a guy who's trying to, like, work with them. Like, Listen, we're man, a team. My, my hands are tied. I'm just going about kidnapping exactly. people for months at a time. What it's are you not supposed up to do? To me. It's not up to me. So... At this point, um, they actually air this on the news and there's part of a 48 hours where Gracia's sister is sitting watching this clip and she says, I want the president to see this. Like, he better be watching this so that he knows what it's like for us to see our family out there as hostages and hopefully he'll do something about it. So the situation is getting more and more dire and lots of members are leaving the group because you know as every day goes on they're realizing Sabaya's in it for the money not for islam um so chuck regini regini is still in manila so he's been there since may and it's about november december at this point and he's really desperate to get the burnhams home um and he decides that he's gonna use gracious sister Mary. So they fly her out to the Philippines and he's going to try and use her as a way to say like the government's not paying ransom, but we're working with the family to try and set your family free. So she says that as she's flying over the jungle to land in Manila is when she really realizes how dense the jungle actually is and how it's taken so long for them to track the Abu Sabayef. So she goes on the radio and she broadcasts an appeal to Sabaya. She begs him to let Martin and Gracia go. She says they don't have any money. They're missionaries. They live in the Philippines. They're not rich. They don't have money for a ransom. America's not going to pay a ransom. But if you want to try and negotiate for something else, here's a number to call. So Sabaya calls and he talks to Chuck and they finally agree on a number. They agree to like $300,000, which is obviously so much lower than his original $2 million. And Chuck knew that this was going to violate the American policy, but he didn't really have a choice. And he was able to kind of, you know, portray it as a way of like America's helping the family pay the ransom and not America's paying the ransom. So 
Chuck goes and he drops off the money with the courier that um, Sabaya sends. And he waits for Sabaya to release the Burnhams. And he knew it was going to take a few days. But once it hits about two weeks and they're not released, he realizes something's wrong. So what happened was the courier had passed the money off to one of the groups that had split from Abu Sabayev and the Abu Sayef. I'm like mixing the two words, the Abu Sayef. Um, and they kind of dispersed the money between themselves before sending it to Sabayev. Oh so Sabaya ended up hardly getting any of the money. So he's telling the Burnhams like, I can't release you. They barely gave me anything. So at this point, it's June 7th, 2002. It's been over a year. Unbelievable. And they've just been wandering in the jungle. So at this point, there's only 14 people left in the group. So it's the Burnhams, a couple more hostages, Sabaya, and a few of his men. And they had just been walking around in the jungle trying to, like, stay a few steps ahead of the military. Um, and at this point, the Burnhams were like, okay, Sabaya is protecting us from the military because they're shooting at anything that moves. So they're in this weird spot of, like, Sabaya has been protecting us, but also we can't go home because of him. Right. It's um, a little Stockholm syndrome Exactly. Yeah. And they haven't eaten in nine days at this point. Um, and the Filipino army felt a lot of pressure to get the result that America wanted, which was getting the hostages out. So when they, you know, saw people in the jungle, they didn't quite think they just attacked. Um, and both Martin and Gracia ended up being shot and they were taken to a nearby, taken to a nearby hospital. Um, and Sabaya ended up getting away. Um, Martin was shot in the chest and he didn't survive. But Gracia was shot in the leg and she was able to return home really fast. Um, and Sabaya was located in a sting operation two weeks later and was killed then. Um, so Gracia is back home in Kansas. I think it's Kansas or Kentucky. I don't remember one of the case <laughs> states. I think case. it's Kansas. I, you said Kansas earlier. Yeah. So she wrote a book and she goes on tour. She talks at like churches and stuff. Um, just telling her story. Um, and the Abu Sayyaf still exists and they still continue to kidnap and kill people in the Philippines. Um, but their allegiance is now to the Islamic State instead of Al Qaeda. Um, and the money paid to the Abu, Abu Sayyaf is the only ransom paid ever facilitated by the American wow. government. Wow. Yeah. Unbelievable. So that is. Abu Sayyaf and the Burnhams. Wow. Well told. Thank you. That is... Even though I said um a million times. Hey, you didn't. But that is a really hard story to tell because there's so many layers there. Yeah. Um, of American policy and foreign relations going back a mm -hmm. hundred years and... Uh, how do you describe a couple's like year long trek through right. the jungle and the nuances of the people that made up the terrorist organization? I know and that. So well done. Yeah. I told that so fast. Go watch captive on Netflix. I did that. I'd never heard of that show. It's so good. If you watch it, don't watch the first episode. Cause I think I'm going to do that story okay. next Let week. Let Emily tell you about it. So if you've seen captive and you've watched the first episode, don't tune in. Just kidding. You should always no, tune in. No, turn it. Turn in. Tune in. Tune in. 
to hear your retelling. To hear my retelling. I've seen a 2020 but or like a dateline on that couple. Yeah. And ugh. It's so good. Breaks so, my heart about the husband. Yeah, I know. And Gracia's in it. And she talks about how like it's been so long since then and she can hardly remember much of what happened oh, yeah. in the jungle. And she said she finds herself like wishing that she could remember more because that's all that she has left of her husband. Yeah. And so, and it's like so sad to watch this woman who is like so amazingly strong. She lasted more than a year as a hostage in the jungle say like, and to come out of that still a functional human being. Right. It's pretty, I mean your, your mind like protects you by blocking things out. Yeah. And it's also nuts. She describes how right when they were attacked her and martin were literally praying oh my gosh wow yeah i'm glad those children at least had one of their parents that was able to come back to them yeah wow well now is the time of the show where we transition from talking about horrible things and we detox from the horror and our alcohol by asking each other a question yeah a way to get to know each other better a way for you our dear listeners get a little palate cleanser yeah, palate cleanser and a way for you to get a, you to get us, you to get to know us. You better. to get us to know you better. To <laughs> you to get to know us better. <laughs> so Emily, I have this one locked and loaded. Oh, good. Um, if you have questions for us to ask each other, email them to us at lwtruecrime at gmail dot com. That's lwtruecrime at gmail. Dot com. Dot com. Emily, if you could live in any sitcom, which one would Ooh. it be? I could live in a sitcom. Yeah. Ryan's looking at me like he knows what I would say, and I would not want to live in Friends. I really enjoy watching Friends, but... You wouldn't want to live in it? I think I would punch Ross in the face mm. over a hundred times. Fair. Man, I mean, my next, my next favorite sitcom is How I Met Your Mother, but I don't think I'd want to live there either. That's a good question. It's a good question. It's a thinker. I'm gonna say How I Met Your Mother for now because okay. now that there's pressure, I can't even think of any other sitcoms. What would you enjoy about living in that world? I just feel like I'm friends with them already. You know them. They're yeah. your people. They're your community. Yeah. It would be easy. There's not a lot of diversity. Yeah, that's true. How I, I think I think that would be a fun crowd to hang out with. I think it would just feel like a bubble. For a scotch, but yeah, it would be a bubble for yeah. sure. But I guess that's probably how it would feel in any sitcom because like when you're watching it, you literally like don't get to know anybody besides the true core. Yeah. That's fair. Um or you just move to Oregon. Because it's pretty much the same thing as growing up in an all-white sitcom. That's Ayo. true. True. Um, Orange County is pretty similar, too. It's fair. probably more diverse than yes, it is Oregon, diverse but than Oregon. it's very white. Yes. Very middle class. Quite white. Quite white. Um, if I had to live in a sitcom, or if I could live in a sitcom, I would choose to live in Gilmore Girls. <gasps> because I would want to live in Stars Hollow. I would want to live next to oh uh, Babette. I would want to walk past um, what's the dance teacher yeah. in town. Her dance studio. I'd want to go grocery shopping at Dosi's Market. Uh, I'd want to go, you know, 
listen to music. Date Logan. I want. I mean, what? I mean, who? Hmm? What? I want to hang out with Lane Kim. Um, <sighs> Lane Kim. Go eat something made by Suki. Which the actress that plays Lane Kim is in Dirty John. She's yeah, the she assistant. Is, she's Connie Britton's assistant. Yeah, I know it's true. I do love her. But yeah, it would be it would be Stars Hollow. I'd be I'd go to a town meeting, have a burger. At oh Luke's. my god! I'd be very Kurt. into that. Huh? Kurt? Kirk? Oh my gosh! Kirk? Not Can I remember Kurt. if it's Kurt or Kirk? No, it's Kirk. Yeah, Kirk. I think that would be magical. That would be I magical. changed my answer. What's your answer? To Gilmore Girls. <laughs> <laughs> Happy to help. Happy to inspire and encourage. You know, what I think I would just be crying all the time from nostalgia. Yeah. La, 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 no, don't, I know, don't I sing even, it. I don't sing I it. I cannot. Um, you know what would make you happy, dear listener? Rating, reviewing, and subscribing our podcast. It would also make us happy. Or it make us happy, or you are happy by making us happy. It's this whole thing. It's a win-win-win-win. It's a win-win-win. Win. Um, this is episode 14. Yeah. Who, gosh, who knew? Who knew? Who really knew? Um, we're thrilled to have been here. Thank you for making drinks for us, Em. Yeah. Listen to us on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. I would say wherever you get your podcasts, but those are literally the only two places you can find us. Follow us no, on Instagram. No, you can find us other places. Where? Google Podcasts. Really? Stitcher. Do you not have to upload to that? No. Those two automatically well there you go when you create an rss feed you can find us anywhere you, you find can find podcasts. us anywhere you find podcasts fantastic well that's great yeah. well that's emily and that's sarah this has been lightweight true crime it has been cheers, Like Rudolph, well, it's Rudolph. R I D U L P H. Rudolph. 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 Yeah. Rudolph. 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 Cool. Can't wait to mess that up.